want to give uh, just a real quick before we jump into what we're talking about this morning. I want to give a quick plug to that parenting uh, thing that Aaron talked about a minute ago. Um, I, I want to tell you, if you're a parent, uh, that what you do, there is nothing more important than the task you're involved in in raising your kids. Now, I know some of your kids are uh, you're just starting out as a parent, just had a baby, to you've got a teenager who you want to kick out of the house. Get it. Uh, I know you're, you're in that gamut, or you've raised kids, and now they're grown. And, but this is, uh, this is for parents who have a kid still living at home. And what we want to do is we want to help you. They're, whoever gets elected president, or let me say it this way, whoever it is you're afraid gets elected president, um, <laughs> what they will do pales in comparison to what you are doing in raising your kid. Uh, a person who is going to make a million dollars this week doing whatever it is they do in their business, I hope it's legal, uh, th- what they do is not as important as what you are doing in raising your kids. Think about yourself. Think about your own childhood. You are giving your children, if you do your parenting game well, you're giving them a foundation they can build on for the rest of their life. You know, uh, the saying is, the child is the father of the man. What you do matters so much. And so we want to come alongside you. We want to help. We want to help you know where to take your kid. Now, what I've found in talking to parents is very often what parents are trying to do is they're looking at the experiences they had that were not good, and they say, well, I, I either had that happen to me, and I'm never going to let that happen to my kid, or I never got, and so my kid's always going to get. And so what happens is you live out of that. Those are both negatives. Do you understand that? You're living out of a negative, something I didn't have or I didn't get, and I don't... Now, that, that's a, that's, I understand where that comes from, but you've got to have something positive that you're taking your kid toward. I'd suggest to you uh, that what you want for your kid is you want to raise them to have character. Um, you can choose that, or you can say, I want my kid to, this is the American answer, I want my kid to be happy. Now, if you're raising your kid and you're saying, I want them to have character, what you're saying is, I want them to have the ability to deal with whatever life's throws at them, because a person of character can deal with the difficulties of life, because life is difficult. If you say, well, I just want my kid to be happy, what you're basically saying is, I want to give them a rabbit they'll chase for the rest of their life, right? So we want to help you figure out, what, what are you, where are you trying to take your kids? And, and then we want to help you have the tools to know how to do it, the real practical things. The guy who's coming, his name's Tracy Spar. Um, he's a dentist. Uh, he's a pastor. He, you'll love him. He's just fantastic. He's raised, he and his wife, Valerie, have raised three wonderful, wonderful kids. He's the best, and hands down, the best dad that I know. And um, he's a great speaker. You'll love him. Don't miss it. If you can't afford the 20 bucks, 10 bucks will pay for the child care for all, any number of kids you have. If you can't afford that, just please let me know. We'll scholarship, we want to make sure you can get there. So plan to be here April 8th and 9th, okay? I'm going to be down front taking notes because I need help. So um, you do the same. Okay, there's my commercial. There you go. Uh, so welcome. <laughs> my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you decided to join us today. If this is your guest with us, I know it can be kind of intimidating sometimes when you come to church. You're like, are they going to hold snakes? What are they going? You know, what are they going to do exactly? I don't. I'm a little weirded out. We want to make this just a, a safe place to listen to the dangerous message of Jesus. And so we want to do everything we can to make you feel comfortable, and so we're, to, we're honored that you chose to be here with us today. If you're a, a, a regular around here, would you please do what I do? I assume, if I don't know somebody, that no one else is going to talk to them and make them feel welcome, and I do everything that I can to go out of my way to make them feel welcome, and, I, and you do that so often, but just, would you always have that in your brain when you show up here? You see a new face, hi, how are you? My name is, tell me about you, where are you from? Um, because we want to have that kind of culture around here. Good with that? 
okay, all right. First service, one person was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, today what we're doing is we're talking about something as old as humanity and as current as five minutes ago. We're talking about temptation. Now, in 2016, um, we're going all the way through Matthew's manual for following Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament. And when Matthew um, lays out for us how we can learn to follow Jesus together, he walks right through the issue of temptation and shows us what Aaron read is this passage in Matthew chapter 4 about Jesus being tempted. Now, you got to understand, if Jesus was tempted, then you're in good company. So just turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus was tempted, you're in good company. Jesus was tempted, you're in good company. Now, when you're tempted, here's, here's what's going on. That's this moment uh, that presents itself to you in which you are enticed to sin. Now, when I think about that, um, what I think of is uh, Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> between the hours of 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. or 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. Do you know what happens? If you drive by, if you've ever driven by a Krispy Kreme, there's one in South Bend. I know right where it is. I'm not saying I've been there more than once, but I have. Uh, there's one over in Chicago. I think there was, it used to be one here in Northwest Indiana. Uh, but between 5 and 9, there's this, it's like, you know the, the thing that flies, fly toward the light that kills them? You know that? It's like that. This light comes on that says, hot donuts now. And what happens is you go in and you watch them get made. You see them on the conveyor belt. And then like a crack dealer stands there at the front and goes, hey, you want one of these? <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? Right. That's true. It's true. It's real. But you know, you, you, you see that light, don't you? And that you're enticed. You're enticed. See, that's the, that's the picture we're working with when we're talking about temptation. We're talking about being enticed to sin. Now, I know that's not a, a popular word or a word that people like, but for Christians, sin is a really big deal. Uh, I'll tell you why. It's not just that you get dookie points with God, though there's, there's that. But what Christians understand, uh, what the Bible talks about what sin means, way more layered than usually gets talked about, is that what sin does is it builds a wall. Uh, it builds a wall between you and God. It builds a wall between you and yourself. It builds a wall between you and other people. So here, here's how it works. When you sin, what happens is you, it's like you lay a brick to build that wall between you and God. And what happens is one of two reactions. One, you sin, and so you feel like you can't come close to God, and so you want to hide. And you want to protect yourself and say, oh, God must be really mad at me. And so you wall yourself off from the God who loves you. Or what you do is you get angry at God and say, I wouldn't have had to do that if you'd come through for me. And so you, you build a wall between you and God. You also build a wall between you and yourself when you sin. I, I can't tell you the number of times someone has recounted for me how they got where they are. Some difficult things have happened in their life from some choices that they made that were not good, including multiple times they've sinned. And they'll say something to me like this, I don't know how I got here. Do you know what happened? Is they sinned and they build a wall between themselves and they don't even recognize themselves. They're like, I didn't, how did I become this person? You, they get cut off from themselves, and then they get cut off from other people. Just, just think about this for a second. If you're a mom, and, and you're married, and you go and you have an affair, um, and your kids are watching this all happen, and they listen to the arguments that you have with your spouse, and then they see how you react, you've, you've put a brick into their past that they're now going to look back on, and they're going to go, oh, see, that's what marriage is like. See, it builds a wall. See, this is why Christians think sin's a really big deal because walls keep us from the people who can love us. 
So, see, sin is about uh, the relationship. So what happens is this death comes. So what the Bible talks about it is that sin allows death to come into the equation. So there's a death with your relationship with God or a death even with your relationship with yourself and then with other people. And here's how temptation works. Temptation is the first link in that chain that leads to building that wall. And if you could break the chain, then you would never build the wall in the first place. So this is really important that you don't live a life with walls all around you if you can figure out how to break the chain. Now, temptation comes in all kinds of forms. I had a temptation last Sunday after this service uh, that, I, that I gave into. Um, you might say, oh, really? What, what is that, pray tell? Well, we were in the, my wife and I were taking um, a friend of our oldest son, um, his mom, uh, that we've become friends with, and, and uh, she has a heart t- transplant and is in a hospital in Chicago, uh, and we took the son to see his mom. We wanted to go see her and talk to her and, and pray with her. And, and so we were driving in the car on the way there. And I was tired. I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before. And I was kind of tired and I was kind of grumpy. And I wasn't kind of, I was. My, my wife was giving me like the, the dagger look. Do you know the dagger? Because uh, she's trying to make me stop and I'm not stopping. And I'm choosing to indulge my own emotional grumpiness, right? I could see it then. Uh, I turned around to my son, and he's kind of like, Dad, you're, he's getting to the age where he's like, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> and we get to the restaurant to eat before we went there because we hadn't eaten yet, and I sat down, and I, I realized I'm, I'm doing this wrong. I've done this wrong. And I said, you know what, guys? I'm really sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hangry. I, you know what hangry is? You're <laughs> hungry and angry. <laughs> you're angry because you're hungry. And, and my, to which my son says, yeah, Dad, you should have had a Snickers. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> Right? But what did I do? What did I do? I, I, I gave in to the temptation to indulge my emotions so I would feel better. And I built a brick. I built a wall between my wife and me and between my son and me. And between. So that's what happens. Now, let me suggest to you what's happening when you're tempted. And this is what I've found just based on counseling uh, hundreds and hundreds of people now as a pastor. And this is the insight. We avoid pain at all costs, don't we? Now, I, I know you might say, well, hey, stunning insight. Thanks for telling me that I don't like hitting my... Uh, thumb with a hammer, but it's, it's deeper than that. What I mean is, we often choose to sin because we want to get away from pain. We, we find out that life hurts, and so what we do is we turn to false comforts and not to God. So we're lonely, so I'll go find someone to sleep with. Or we had a bad day, so I mean, I'll just take another drink. It's not a big deal. Or we're out of control, and so we don't know what to do, and so what we do is we go spend money because it makes us feel good. See, we, we know life hurts, and so we, that temptation looms right in our field of vision. It's like our peripheral vision starts to zoom in. And all we can see is the temptation in front of us. You know the story, right? Adam and Eve, the uh, beginning story about temptation and how Eve eats the apple uh, off the tree. Now, the Bible doesn't say it's an apple. It could have been a mango. It just says a fruit. We don't know what it was, but we all, you know, we commonly think it's a, a fruit. But this is what happened for her, right? She heard, she got the temptation, and this is all she could see was the temptation. That's what happens when we were tempted, right? And when we indulge it. I'll read you the, the passage of scripture in Genesis uh, chapter 3. They'll put it on the screen for me since it's dark. Here's what it says. When the woman, Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and, what's the word? Read it, say it with me. Pleasing to the eye and also, what's the word? Desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So what we don't see when we see the temptation, because we're zeroed in on it and we don't see anything else, 
is we don't see the chain attached to it, do we? We're so focused on what we think is going to relieve our pain that we miss the thing underneath it that will trap us. Isn't that reality? So here's, here's what happens when, when temptation comes. Uh, this is what's going on. I'll, I'll put it on the screen for you. Temptation is what you feel when your desire tries to overcome your pain without God. Temptation is what you feel when your desire tries to overcome your pain without God. This is the first alert. There's this pain, and so here's a shortcut past it, and we hate pain, so we start to focus in on the temptation, and we we lose our peripheral vision, right? Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn several realities about temptation from this, this in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' temptation. Um, then I want to tell you what temptation isn't, and then I want to give you some, some keys to help you overcome temptation. And then for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is look at each of the, there's three temptations Jesus has that are kind of the core temptations that all of us struggle with, and we'll walk through how to overcome them together. Now, what do we learn from this temptation with Jesus? Now, when, when does this happen for Jesus? If you've been here the last several weeks, you know we've been talking about Jesus' baptism, and when Jesus was baptized, his, he, he realizes his identity, that he's the son who's loved by his father, and his father's pleased in him, and what's said of Jesus is said of you and me. So he's had this mountaintop experience, this spiritual moment when every, all, everything clicked into place, and you would think if after a moment like that, that, you know, well, hey, you'd never be tempted because you're on this spiritual kind of high. And it's right at that moment that Jesus is tempted. And if you're not immune at a moment like that, then you're not immune. So what you can learn from that is that you can be tempted at any time. There's not a moment when you can't be tempted. Now, where is Jesus? Jesus is gone, has gone into the wilderness or um, the desert might be a better translation of that. And you might go, well, how, how do you get tempted when you're in the middle of nowhere? I mean, there's no tax return to cheat on. Uh, there's no women to hit on. I mean, what, how in the world do you get tempted from that? What gives? Well, we often think that temptation has to do with where we are, and there, there's some, some truth to that, but the, the point is, is that temptation isn't so much about where you are as what you let in, and if you're already someplace that you shouldn't be, you've already given in to the temptation. You just made arrangements so you can be a place where you can fulfill what you were tempted to do. So you can, it can happen any, here's the point, here's the thing to take away. It can happen anywhere. It can happen anytime. It can happen anywhere. And then what, is, what does it say? Uh, that the devil tempted Jesus. Now, I don't know what you think about the devil. I don't know if you believe in a devil. Um, I, I believe in a devil, and the reason I believe in a devil is because Jesus taught that there was a devil, and it, he rose from the dead. That's what Christians believe. And anyone who can raise from the dead, I'm going to go ahead and believe whatever they say. When you raise yourself from the dead, I'll believe anything you say, Right? <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and go with that. Now, but I also, it, it's, there, doesn't evil feel so personal sometimes? It's like the face of evil. And in, in the Bible, the devil is that face of evil. Now, the word there in the Greek language is the same in, in Spanish. It's diabolos. It's, um, it means an accuser. The, the word in Hebrew is where we get the word Satan, which means the same thing, uh, the accuser. It's like uh, the devil is the prosecutor, is the prosecuting attorney, and he's bringing a case against you. In fact, that Martin Luther, who was uh, one of the, the leading Christians in the last 500 years who's influenced people, he said it like this. He says, what the devil does is he throws evil thoughts and lust into your heart like arrows. So the devil is always accusing you. He's the, in fact, Revelation says he's the accuser of our brothers and sisters. 
So he knows your pain points, and he, he knows to question your identity. And he says, no, you're not the son God loves. You're not, he, he doesn't love you. You're not, he's not pleased with you. You're not good enough. You're never going to get this right. You're always going to screw up. You're such a mess up. You're never going to do this the way it's supposed to be done. I mean, he just constantly accuses you and throws these things against you. And, and if you buy those accusations that the devil makes, you are buying a lie, literally, from the pit of hell. Because he's the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Now, if we're honest, there, there is, honestly, a, a case against that. You can make a case against me. I can make a case against you. But what Christians believe that's so powerful is, yeah, there's a case, but Jesus is our, we have the, the accuser who's against us, but Jesus is our advocate. In fact, he gives us his record, and he says, listen, I know there's a case against you, but here's my record. You can be free. Jesus, I'm, see, the accuser wants to condemn you. The defender wants to set you free. Jesus wants to set you free. So you don't have to live under the threat of accusation all the time. That's the first thing the Bible says about him. Second thing is that he uh, disguises himself as an angel of light, pretends to want our good. That's why temptation is so tempting, because we think through it, we're going to find the thing we've been looking for. And what, he, what Satan does to us by throwing these darts and arrows into our hearts and into our minds is he says to us basically to rationalize what we can do. And I've heard someone describe it this way. Rationalizing is rational lies that we tell ourselves, right? In fact, uh, John says that he is a liar and the father of lies. Have you ever been around someone who's a chronic liar? They lie, and then they have to lie about the lie, and then they lie about the lie that they just lied to cover up the lie. And then pretty soon, they don't even know what the truth is themselves. It's just a big, giant lie. And that's the way the Bible paints the devil. He's just a liar. Everything, everything that comes out of him is a lie and an attempt to deceive us. In fact, if someone said it like this, the devil's greatest lie is to try and convince us that he doesn't exist. Now, here's what's interesting about the devil, and we'll look at it in a, in a week or two. The devil, according to this from Matthew, knows the Bible. In fact, when he tempts Jesus, what he does is he quotes the Bible, he quotes Psalm 91 in the Old Testament to Jesus. Now, sometimes people think that the Bible, this is my mother's Bible, and uh, that I've, she had when she was in like the 1950s, and I keep it and keep my notes out of it and preach out of it. But some of us think that when we have a Bible, it's like this talisman. We can, oh, we don't have to know what's in it, but, you know, ward off the devil. <laughs> he knows this better than you, so it would make sense for you to learn how to use it, right? Be helpful. So just a recap on temptation. It can happen anywhere, anytime, and there is someone who is actively seeking with a horde of partners, actively seeking your demise and wants to condemn and accuse you. I mean, we're in a pickle, right? So I, I want you to understand, though, what, uh, some things about temptation, because there's some misunderstandings about temptation that kind of trip people up. Um, here's the first one, that is that it's not a sin to be tempted. Temptation is not the sin. It's when you act on the temptation that it's the sin. Remember, temptation is what you feel when your desire tries to overcome your pain without God. It's the feeling. I can drive down the road and be cut off, and feel like I would want to tell someone they're number one, right? I mean, I could, right, I could, hey, I, I feel that. That's not the sin. The sin is when I act on that. See, temptation is not sin. Martin Luther, again, he said it like this. He said, you cannot stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair or biting off your nose. 
right? You can't, they come by, like, yeah, where did that thought, thought come from? Where did that feeling come from? I mean, you can't stop that, but you don't have to let it rest on you and make a home on your head, right? So it's, it's not a sin to be tempted. Second thing, it's not a sign that you're messed up. Um, you have to understand that everyone is tempted. Everyone that you know is tempted. Your boss is tempted. Your um, employees are tempted. Your neighbor is tempted. Your doctor is tempted. If you have a lawyer, your lawyer is tempted. Your mechanic is tempted. Uh, the person who sold you your sandwich, uh, if you were mean to them at the restaurant, they were tempted. So just, just saying be nice, right? Your spouse is tempted. Your kids are tempted. Your mom is tempted. Your dad is tempted. I'm tempted. Everyone's tempted. Everyone has temptation. You don't have a case of the uniques where you're, you're struggling with something that no one else has ever faced. See, that's one of the ways the devil isolates us. It's just you, nobody else. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it like this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is, read the, in, in, in bold, what is common to mankind. And God's faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. See, it's common. Everyone is tempted. Third thing, uh, it's not from God. Remember James, we read that at the beginning of the service. Each person, James is the brother of Jesus, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their, what's the word? Own desire, evil desire, and entice. So you've got to own it, in other words. It's not God forcing you to choose or putting you in a difficult position, and you go, well, I mean, you put me here, God, so I've got to choose this. No, no, own it. You choose. I choose. And the devil didn't make you do it. It's not the devil's fault. Again, he's the one maybe sending the birds over your head. But you, so you can't use the excuse, well, the devil made me do it. You know, I can't help it. It's just this. All he does is he just rejoices when you do it because that's his job. Well, how in the world do you overcome temptation? I want to give you um, three, three uh, ways that you can overcome temptation. And here, here's the first one, okay? Is you're going to have to resist. James, the brother of Jesus, says it like this. Submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you so you submit yourself to god god i'm i'm under your care and control my life is yours so because of that i resist the things the devil is sending my way so so that means you, you stand firm so it would be really cool wouldn't it if you, you when the bird flies over your head you know you're, you're trying to shoo the bird away it'd be really cool for walking in town and country and there's all these people you see them walking down the aisles and they're like yeah oh, get that way like we're trying to shoo that thing away, right? You're resisting, and you're saying, no, I'm going to resist that temptation, right? Everywhere this week, when you see someone from real life, go like this, right? <laughs> so, in, in fact, Martin Luther said it this way. He said, the devil may shoot evil thoughts and lust in your heart, but see to it that you do not let such arrows stick there and take root, but tear them out and throw them away. He's resist. Second thing, and this is so important, especially for Northwest Indiana, is that you have to diagnose your pain. Now, what, what do I mean by that? I, I see all the time that people are pushed around by their pain. I see people who are, I, I would call them the walking wounded. And they don't even know it. They've never stopped to see what, what it is that's driving them, and so they're pushed around by their past. I, I know stingy people who are stingy because they had nothing growing up. So they're living out of pain. I know people who don't trust anybody because someone, one person, one time burned them, and so they decide, well, then every other human being on the planet is not worth any trust, and so I'm not going to trust anybody. See, what are they doing? They're living out of their pain. 
I know some people who are freewheeling and their life is just like everything is up for grabs and they're just all over the map and they'll do anything and everything. And the reason is, is they feel like they got too many rules and so they're not going to live that way anymore. What are they doing? They're living out of their pain. I know divorced people, the reason that they're divorced is because they went through a divorce of their parents and so they don't know what else to do. When, you, when you get, it gets hard, I guess you just quit. I don't know what else you do. I mean, I guess that's it. What are they doing? They're living out of their pain. I know people who are addicts because they grew up around someone who was an addict. What are they doing? They're living out, that's how you deal with stuff, is you numb it out. I know people who, are, uh, who abuse, who, the reason they do that is because they were abused, and they don't realize that they're being pushed around by their pain. Did you know you can do really positive things because of pain in the past? I'll give you three questions you can use to just kind of diagnose your pain. Here, here's the first one. Who hurt you? Now, when I say that, for some of you, you immediately, it's like a person. It's like an event. It's like a group of people. It's a, it's, it's a person in your family. It's someone that you worked with. You, you just know that person immediately. Who hurt you? And then the second question is this. Have you forgiven them? Now, here's what I mean. Forgiveness does not mean that you excuse, especially if it was something traumatic or abusive. It doesn't mean you excuse it. What it means is that you are, in your own mind, you are releasing them from having any stranglehold over you in the future, and you forgive them. See, that's the way you let them go. That's why forgiveness is so powerful, because it, it lets them go, you know? Like, be gone. I don't need that anymore. And then this is the third question. Are you doing something today because you're trying really hard to overcome something yesterday? Do you, do you, are you aware of how you are doing things because you had, I don't want that to happen to my kids. They can't have that happen. See, that's living out of pain. You see, the psalmist says, surely the salvation of God is near to those who fear him. Remember, salvation, what's it mean? It means to heal. The word in Greek is sozo, which means to heal or to, to set free. Listen, here's what I gotta tell you. When you know God, when you know Jesus, when you understand all that happened on the cross, and what Jesus did for you in paying for your sins and rising from the dead. Listen, what's happening there is God's offering you healing. In, I, in Mark, Matthew chapter 12, uh, Ma Matthew quotes Isaiah, and Isaiah prophesies what Jesus will do, and he says this, he says, a bruised reed he will not break. Do, do you know, have you seen one of those reeds, like you go to the pond, and there's that little bend in it, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the little bend? And, and when, it's bent, when it's not bent, you know, it's kind of hard to break it. There's that moment when it breaks. But there's this, you just know if you're just sort of give it a little push. And some of us live that way. We're like right on the edge. You know, one more push and I'm over. I'm done. I can't take another thing. And the message about Jesus is that God will never push you over. He'll not put, he's not going to do that to you. There's healing for you. And, then, and he says, on a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. You know when you're trying to light the candle and it's just, just starting to come, you know, like in your, if you were to breathe wrong or look wrong, it'd go out, right? It's, some of us are afraid that we're just starting to light up and then God's going to come along and snuff us out or something in life's going to snuff us out. And, and the message about Jesus is that God will never do that to you. There's healing. You don't have to live based on your pain, so you don't have to live by the bruises. You don't have to be defined by that anymore. I, I, listen, I get it. Life caused you pain, and what's happened inside of you is that now you feel entitled to something, right? The temptation comes, it's like, oh, I can get out of my pain. I don't want my pain anymore. And you can get out of it without God. But listen, listen, God's, you don't have to be defined by your pain like that. 
You might be doing really positive things that you think are really positive. But the reason you're doing them is because of pain. And what, I'm, what I want you to know is that God is gentle with you, and he doesn't want you driven by undiagnosed hurts from your past. He wants you free. See, Jesus came so you could be free. Not chained. Free. So the third thing is this, is that you would learn to love God. In fact, Jesus said that the greatest thing that a human being could do is learn to love God, to respond to the love that God has for you by loving God back. And, and what happens is that you and I are defined by the things that we love. Our problem is not our desires, it's that we desire the wrong things in the wrong way. Our, our loves, one early Christian thinker and leader said, he said our loves are what define us, and and our loves can get disordered. They can get all messed up so that we love the wrong thing and it takes us down the wrong path. He's talking about temptation. And so Jesus has this wisdom. He says, listen, if you learn to love God, it changes the direction of your life. And so you, you go in a different direction. You learn to love the one who loves you. I, there are times when I'm sitting and I'm, sometimes I'm reading or I'm watching a TV show or I'm sending an email on my laptop. Or I'm sitting at home and, and one of my kids will come up and they'll sit down right next to me, and they won't say anything. And they'll just lean, they'll come up, and they'll lean their head against my shoulder. And they might put their arm around mine. And it's just, a, you know, you, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking It's like the best thing ever. And then sometimes they'll look up at me, and they'll say, I love you, Daddy. Now, they haven't said any words. They, I just know they love me, and then they're responding to my love for them. And so I know that their heart is turned toward me. So when you learn to love God, see, your heart is turned toward God. You might see the apple, but you go, well, that's not my, my heart's not toward the apple. I understand that's a temptation, but I also see it's a chain, and my, I want my heart to be in a different direction. If you were here a few months ago when we talked about prayer, we talked about that what, really what prayer is is not trying to manipulate God or trying to motivate God or trying to uh, change what God thinks. Prayer is really about the, uh, the kind of intimacy that's reserved for parents with little kids. You know how you talk about your love? I love you, oh, you're so... Or when someone's dying, the words you say. And if you had that kind of closeness, love for God. See, we say that's part of our mission. We want to help you learn to love God that way. Then it reorders your life so that you can actually overcome temptation when it comes. And then you can live free. Well, I want you to, I want you to be here the next three weeks because I, I want to help you with these, these three temptations. Uh, you struggle with them. I promise you do. You'll struggle with them this week. And you need to know how to over, overcome them, and we want to help you do that. So I want you to come back. But right now, I want to pray for you, uh, and I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And I'd like to pray with you about this today. Would you close your eyes with me? Just no one's looking around. It's just your moment, right, between you and God, if you're okay with that. And what's the thing that you need to resist? Do you uh, understand that God's close and he wants to be close to you? He wants to allow you to lean up against his arm and look up at him and say, I love you. Is there pain that you need diagnosed? Are you operating out of pain? What do you need to do, to get, do today? Oh God, we come to you with all of these things swirling around in our heads and hearts and uh, we often don't know what to do with them and we don't know what to say and... and uh, We've never been here before, and so we need help. We need your help to wave off the temptation when the bird tries to land on our head. We need your help to resist it. We need to understand and see where our pain is, and 
instead of giving in to the lies of the accuser who would tell us that, see, it'll always be like that, we instead hear your voice say, no, you can be free. You can find healing for that pain. It doesn't have to define you anymore. God, we want that. I mean, God, we want to love you. We want, we, it's so great that you love us. We want to love you back. We want to have a, a tender relationship with you that changes the direction of our life. We want that. So I pray for my friends here today that, uh, that they'd go after that and receive from you the freedom that you have to offer us to overcome temptation. God, we want that. So we ask this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing, and you'll see people holding out their hands. That's just their way of saying, I'd love a blessing. And if you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's, that's okay too. Just receive this blessing. You're sent now to love God, the God who loves you, and to love people in his name and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.